Hi, my name is Alan. I'm a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers who not only solve user challenges, but also achieve business goals. In the second episode, I spoke with Joe Gerber, who is a business designer and a managing director at IDEO Colab, which is basically IDEO's research and design network, which connects different companies, organizations, and then looks at emerging technologies uh, to see how they will shape the future. So I wanted to talk to Joe because he was one of the first business designers at IDEO and uh, one of the first ones to start also a new discipline uh, called venture design, which is basically a design process applied to building new ventures. So in this episode, in addition to talking about venture design, we talked about how you can systematically test your design so that it achieves both user and business goals. Then we talked about using design approach to reduce risks in highly risky business situations. And we talked about the role of vocabulary in bridging different design disciplines. And Joe also provided his favorite business design question that you can use in your project. Just one more thing before diving into the episode. If you want to learn more about business, um, you can visit my website, beyondusers.com, and there you can take a five-day email course, which I put together. It's called Mini MBA for Designers. And in these emails, I present five business concepts that are relevant for designers and that I've also used in my design process. So that's available on beyondusers.com. And now, without further ado, here is episode number two with Joe Gerber. So I'd like to begin with a bit of your personal story of how you got into business and design. Uh, could you share a little bit of what drove you from first studying biology to then taking an MBA and now working at IDEO? So I've mostly just been following my my nose, my curiosity. Um, I, I, I went to business school because I was too lazy to get a PhD in biology. Um, and I, but I was also really curious about uh, new technology. I was and I was always kind of interested in wanting to be a part of kind of entrepreneurial things. And so I saw uh, the MBA as a way to enter that world. Um, and then while I was at school, I got into product management. Web 2.0 was kind of a thing back then, which dates me, I guess. Um, and so I, I was a product manager for a few years, learned how to work with designers, learned how to work with engineers, um, how to build and ship products. And I had actually met IDEO while I was in grad school and kept that conversation going while I was doing the product management thing. And um, eventually, IDEO New York was looking for their, their first business designer, and, um, and I applied. And the rest is history. Oh, so you were the first one. How was that? Uh, sort How was of. That for you? I was good. I was so lucky. So, you know, at that time, business design at IDEO was pretty small. I mm -hmm. think it was like maybe less, definitely less than 10 people globally. And in New York, um, a guy named Ryan Jacoby helped move from uh, IDEO San Francisco and Palo Alto out to New York to help start the office. And he was one of the early people that, that created business design along with Diego Rodriguez. And um, so to have somebody leading the studio who was um, 
you know, a business designer and, and was, and was thinking about those sorts of projects and, and was an awesome mentor was, was an amazing opportunity. And at that time, you know, because the design business design community was so small, uh, globally, we were pretty tight knit. So, um, you know, Colin Rainey from Boston would, would come down and spend time with me. Elizabeth Spanko from Chicago would call me once a week and like coach me on, on like, the craft of business design. So like, I was just really fortunate to, to be a part of that kind of first generation of business designers on the tail end and get, get to benefit from all of the, the OGs as they say. That, that sounds amazing, man. But like, how was the, how was the transition from business to design for you? Like you knew something about design, sorry, about the business beforehand, but how much did you really know about the design? I just talked about this thing also with Trent and both of us were like a bit struggling going from being more business um, driven organizations into like design driven. It was, well, was it a shock for you as well? Or how totally, did you it? totally. Yeah. So, well, I will say on one hand, I felt when I had read about IDEO before I ever got to meet anybody here, I had this like fantasy that it was the perfect place for me. And, <laughs> um, and so I think there's, there was part of me that was always, wanting to be a designer, even if I didn't know what that meant. Um, but yeah, it was a total culture shock, mostly in a, in a good way. But, you know, before, before coming to IDEO, I was working at Fidelity Investments as a, as a product manager. And, um, you know, that's a place where people still wear ties to work at, at least back then they wore ties to work every day. And it was a very kind of big, highly structured organization, um, where it was about filling out Gantt charts and going to status meetings and, of that sort of stuff. So the culture was quite, quite different. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you know me, you know, I'm not the most like fashionable person or I didn't know what typefaces were really. Um, I didn't know anything about traditional design. Um, and IDEO New York at that time was like this amazing, amazing place with like these really, really um, deep, skilled graphic designers and interaction designers. So craft was a, was like a, a big deal there. Um, cause when they started the new studio, I think there was this intent to like really dial up craft in the new studio. And, um, so for me, it was an awesome way to learn about, uh, about design. I, I was kind of surrounded by world-class designers and, and got to, um, to understand, to have empathy for the types of things that they think about, um, to start to learn some of the language. I think a lot of design is about translating, um, whether that's user to product or business to uh, experience or, or whatever. And so um, I think I was quite, I was really fortunate, but, but, you know, I learned design the way most people at IDEO, or I learned about IDEO and IDEO's version of design the way most people do here, which is they just kind of throw you in. I remember, uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember a few moments of like, um, going to client workshops and, and, and like leading a bunch of business people on the design thinking process when I was still learning it myself, which was like, talk about, um, you know, like getting thrown into the deep end, uh, and having imposter syndrome. Like I, I was like one of those people that was like just, just happy to be here. And now I'm trying to pretend like I know how to do it and teach other people, but that was actually the best way to learn. Yeah, I also remember my first project. I felt so bad because like almost I think for, for the first three or maybe even four weeks, 
I didn't even say it. Okay, I did say something, but I couldn't contribute to any of the discussions in the team. It was just on a, such a different level than what we were used to from the business circles that it was just uh, very, very hard. And I think designers a lot of times think, uh, or let's call them more classical designers or non-business designers think it's hard to learn business, but I would say it's even harder for business people to learn, to learn design. Yeah, and it's and it goes back to what I was saying. Like every discipline has its own language and history. And and what I've learned because I've you know I was I've worn a few different hats over the over my career, for like scientist, product person, designer, whatever. It's um, a lot of the underlying stuff is just that like there's clear logic to it, or like it you know it it makes sense. These are these are disciplines created by humans for humans. Um, so, so it feels inaccessible because we don't speak the language, but once you start to learn the language a little bit, it mm-hmm. becomes more and more accessible. And so I think that's key is, is starting to un- like not be intimidated by, you know, like there were words like bespoke that I had never heard before in my life until I got to idea <laughs> and which sounded so fancy and important and, and they, they have real meaning and I'm not belittling the language, but like once you figure out that that just means like custom, like it's not intimidating anymore. Mm. So speaking about language, like obviously we had to learn like the design language, but did you at the same time also had um, a, a role where you were teaching other designers about business language and business like in general as well? Yeah. I mean, especially in the, in those early days, business, as I was saying, like business design was pretty new. And so we were kind of making it up as we went as a community. And to be honest, like there were parts of IDEO that was kind of allergic to numbers and things like that uh coming into the project space because there was this belief that like you know um i mean there was a fair uh concern of like the culture of ideo is what makes it magical and people didn't want to corporatize ideo culture um and there but i think there was a false belief that uh bringing numbers and kind of um business thinking into the project space was going to kill creativity and um what what I found time and time again is like when once you start working with with designers and explaining like here's how our client makes money, here's the different ways that we could turn that experience concept into like and repeatedly deliver it, you know, with a business model. Um, once you start to do those things, it actually op- created more opportunities for creativity and, and really interesting paths than uh, than than not. So. Um, yeah, there was a lot of education. I remember, so I, I joined IDEO in beginning of 2009, which was in the, the depths of the, the, the financial crisis then. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of our, one of our clients was a big retail bank that was, um, in the news a lot. And the team was like having a lot of, um, debate over, you know, like, are we doing the right thing in helping in helping them? And once we realized that we had the opportunity to like change change their model and their business model and and make it more human centered and and get away from like you know hidden fees and things like that, that became a really empowering and inspiring kind of um, opportunity and set of constraints for for the team. And so mm-hmm. I think educating like demystifying business models, demystifying how a market works or, or things like that, I think was, was something that, 
again, it was it was one of those translations, right? Like once once you kind of explain it in plain, simple terms and, and what it means for our our brief uh, or our project, I think then it allowed us to engage in a, on a different level as a team. Mm. And how did you do that? Like, how did you demystify the business models and the underlying functioning of this? Um, so the, I, I used to draw, uh, like, I, I like systems diagrams. Um, and I get for, for me, that's just part of the way that I, that I think. So I would draw, like, little pictorial systems of, of how, how any of our clients' business models worked. Um, so, you know, for a retail bank there, there was fees and I would kind of draw a little schematic, simple thing to, mm -hmm. to show that there's something called interchange. I would do that. Um, and, um, and then, you know, float interest float or things like that. Like I would just take, take concepts and make them really simple. And then we would talk through them. And, um, that was, that was one way. Another way is to, to pull kind of case studies. So, um, you know, in, from, from an MBA lens, doing a competitive analysis is a, is a common thing um, where you look at a bunch of companies out in the world and you look at what, what they're offering and how they're positioning themselves. And maybe there's a two by two somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> and so same, same basic activities, but slightly different way of communicating um, what comes out of it. So again, it was always just like, there was this little, it was the same stuff, but then this little tweak of translating to like, well, what does this mean in our case? Mm -hmm. um, what does this mean for our brief? Um, what are some interesting mechanisms of models that, that are out there or um, you know, who, what, what are customers that are being focused on and not like customer segments that are, that are being um, addressed or not addressed, things like that. Um, so, that that was a big way of of kind of upping the fluent the team's collective fluency of of the business implications of our work and context of our work and when it comes down to it right like we're you know IDEO consulting is doing projects for businesses so even if it's a um, a rebranding project it still has business uh, implications or a business motivation. And so mm -hmm. everything, so from that, this was a self-centered point of view, but like from, from that perspective, every project at IDEO is a business design project. Mm -hmm. That's a very nice segue into one of the things I wanted also to clarify was from your perspective, like how would you explain why is it relevant for designers and design community, like as a whole to understand business? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it builds off of what we were just talking about, which is, um, often many of our projects are, are sponsored by businesses and we're trying to solve business problems. But even if, even if that's not the case, um, I think understand, like just to go up a level, one of the things that I've, I've learned here that I really appreciate about IDEO and, and IDEO's um, philosophy of business design is, you know, traditional business people think of value in a very specific and maybe narrow way around, you know, dollars and cents mm -hmm. and balance sheets and things like that. And that, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, that that's all true. But um, when you think about a business through the lens of design, you think of value in a much broader and more holistic way, right? Like the word value um, in, in, in a visual design world has a very different quality to, like it's talking about different qualities and um, 
And so when, when you think, so for any designer, when we're thinking about value creation, we're thinking, and especially in the human centered design process, we're thinking about how do you create like holistic value for people. And, um, and ideas, super, super general, simple answer to that is through experience, right? Like value is created through experience. Um, and, and so the, the reason if you're a graphic designer or an interaction designer or an industrial designer, like you, you get that part, you get the experience piece of it where business comes in is if, if you're truly creating value in that experience, you want to be able to sustainably deliver that, um, you know, and repeatedly create value for people. Mm -hmm. And so business design is, is kind of like, uh, designing the machinery, um, that enables you to, to repeatedly deliver that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's a, it's a form of systems design. I, I totally agree with that. You put it like very nicely. This is one of the discussions I also have with some friends sometimes when we talk about the designs and like, they say, okay, this clearly looks better and it just feels better. Uh, but then, um, sometimes I have the point of, okay, but actually doesn't have any, doesn't really have it's not better for the business. And if it's not better for the business at the end, maybe like there won't be any business and there won't be your design as well. Right. So like kind of getting the whole closing the loop basically. Right. So creating something that's better for the user, but at the end also better for the business, because this also creates the opportunity for the business to keep creating the value for the user. Right. Exactly. Otherwise you may, you may be creating a, a beautiful piece of art, which, yeah. you know, has, there's, there's a totally, a, you know, a place for that, right? There's nothing wrong with beautiful art, but that's a one-off, right? Like that's, that's mm -hmm. by definition. Um, and so if you're designing something where you want to impact people at scale, then you need to have a system that, that enables that. I, I like the metaphor, like, you know, again, as a product person, um, I think like front end, back end, you know, of interfaces and, and systems, like mm -hmm. if, if, if we all as designers are, are thinking about and designing, the front end, I think business designers also, um, maybe we major in the back end and we minor in the front end, whereas other designers major in the front end and minor in the back end. Mm -hmm. Nicely put. There is one specific thing that, um, you and Diego mentioned in the idea futures podcast that I want to touch upon. Uh, and, uh, like for all the listeners who haven't heard of the idea futures, go check it out. It's about business design and venture design. It's super interesting. Talk about similar topics to what we're going to discuss here. Uh, so one of the things that you presented was DDP or discovery driven planning. Mm -hmm. And I find this like very, very useful tool. Like even if you're not a business designer, just having uh, an understanding of what this tool is and uh, how you can use this high level numbers to help you with design is, is, is super helpful. So could you like walk us through what it is and how you can use it? Sure. So you can look it up online or, or maybe there's, we can put some links in the, mm -hmm. yeah. in the liner notes, but um, basically this was an approach. It was a, a series of, of academic papers and then finally resulted in, in a book about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, Rita McGrath and Ian McMillan from Columbia University and uh, UPenn Wharton. Uh, and basically, the the reason that uh, IDEO 
got excited about it was it was kind of a designer's approach to uh, financial modeling. And um, even though I don't think they wrote it thinking that, but the yeah. idea was um, you create a reverse income statement. And um, so instead of ending with profit, you start with your desired profit. And then you go into like, what are the allowable costs? And then you kind of play with scenarios of, and this is my favorite business design question ever. It's the one that I use the most. Then once you get to revenues, you ask what has to be true. Mm. And so instead of doing financial projections where you kind of show, um, you know, the hockey stick and, and then, you know, and then everybody kind of questions the assumptions. It, it kind of allows that nobody knows the answers to the assumptions and what are the kind of, um, what are the ranges? It's kind of like sensitivity analysis. What are the ranges in which this system works? Um, and what has to be true to achieve that? So, you know, we used to use this simple, uh, like a way to explain this was thinking about taco trucks, which are, you know, yeah. big, big here in California, but thinking about like, you know, like, okay, for, for a taco truck to be profitable at a certain rate. Um, and we know that, you know, tortillas cost this much and the truck costs that much and whatever. Um, how many tacos do we have to throughput per hour and what do we have to charge? Um, you know, as a very simplistic example, and it starts to let you see the boundaries of, of how the system must work. And then the, the key thing is, um, it doesn't, it treats those assumptions as just that they're assumptions. So then the next step is to create what they called a learning plan. So how do you take the key assumptions that drive your model and design a set of experiments or prototypes, um, in order to prove out whatever those assumptions are and feel more confident that, that, um, your business is going to work or not. And so Mm -hmm. that the reason that IDEO, uh, business designers, gravitated towards this was it was it perfectly fit with the kind of dna of prototyping and philosophy of prototyping that idea has i gotta say i love this too like i love to play around with numbers and it's this is something i always love to do and i like i not knowingly but i always also started like with the end in mind saying okay let's say that this needs to make a million or 10 million whatever right so how much is that per day right and then if this is how much per day like is it even realistic that you can do with the business model that everyone is using this thing? So for example, like for the taco, I remember you and Diego having the, having this example, like, yeah, in order to reach, I don't know how much was it, like in order to reach a hundred thousand dollars profit or something, Diego would need to make 50 tacos per, per hour, right? <laughs> right. And then you, you can test it so easily because you can just, okay, let's try it. Let's, let's give it a try. One hour, Diego tried to, tries to make 50 tacos he only makes five okay something is terribly wrong for you either we need to invent a machine or we need to change the whole business model right yeah you you can kind of see if you're painting yourself into the corner uh Mm. beforehand and and so you know we what we realized early on in the in business designs history was like financial modeling is a form of prototyping it's it's one of our our mediums for prototyping it's not the only one but it's a it's definitely an important one it's like simulating um the future state of of the product and the business um and so you know like back to that kind of idea of designing a sustainable system if if you're if you need to to make 50 tacos in an hour which or maybe in like 10 minutes let's make it extreme which is Mm. impossible um, you want to find that out before you spend a lot of money on 
a taco truck and all of the materials and then lose your, lose your money. Um, you know, when, to mix metaphors for a second, the other way, like thinking about it again, business systems. So there's the front end and the back end analogy. The other one I like to think of is just like pipes. You're looking for leaks, right? Where, where the, the water's not going to flow through them. And so in that case, like when, if you have to make 50 tacos in 10 minutes, you found a leak. And so then, you know, one of the things we talk about at IDEO for, for all prototyping, but let's use it here is the, the purpose of a prototype is to break it. Right. Um, it, which is a very interesting mental shift yeah. where, where you want to like, we're, we're taught to want to be right. And to, to have like airtight bulletproof, you name the, the kind of the metaphor there, um, models or assumptions or whatever, but actually like it's, that's kind of dishonest, right? Because often nobody knows. And, and so instead, if you embrace the fact that for a lot of these things, nobody knows, but we're going to, we have the better way to learn. Uh, and find out and that's to prototype and break the prototype and then fix the next thing. So in that case, like you said, if you need to make 50 tacos in 10 minutes, you've, you've found the leak and Mm -hmm. you either have to have a really creative way to make 50 tacos in 10 minutes, which is, uh, a machine, or you need to hire a bunch of people, um, who can increase your capacity. Um, you know how, how to plug that leak, or maybe that's, that's, this is that system just doesn't work and you need to think of a, a different mm. business system. And it has a huge, like it could have a huge impact also in the other disciplines within the theme, right? Like a few weeks ago, I was working on this project where we were basically trying to launch an app for outdoor activities. And uh, we started with the end in mind, like we talked and we said, okay, if this is the number we're trying to hit by um, year one, like how are we going to get there? And, one thing that became very, very clear uh, very soon was that we need a very sustainable way to grow it. And it became apparent, okay, that the only way we can do this is by having like more organic or more viral grow growth. And this be, this basically then influenced the work of the UI and UX team, which then said, okay, basically what we need to do is we need to blow up the features that allow us to do this. And then we need to just test this in the next two months to see if we are or even capable to get there, right? Yeah. And so what's funny is like, it sounds so logical in retrospect, but, but mm. the, the the discipline, like the actual, the art of all of this is like um, knowing which questions to ask, knowing yeah. what, what's where the dependencies are so that you can um, build the right prototype. Building the right prototype is really hard. And, and to go back to the DDP, like that helps. It doesn't, completely solve that problem but it helps you focus on the right areas mm. so basically like you're creating like a learning map or like almost experimentation map right and then you launch small prototypes or tests to see if this works or not exactly and so for me i an, another thing that that was a big part of um my business design like experience was this idea of live prototyping so once, once you've identif- identified the assumptions of how this, you want this business system to work, then you want to recreate as best you can the conditions of that system and then try to see if you can see the behavior in the model that you expected. So uh, whether that's like a, um, a referral rate or um, mm-hmm. a take rate or a click-through rate on ads or like, you know, like there's, there's different behaviors that are implied in your assumptions of the model. You want to... Um, so this is my scientist brain uh, actually make like background coming to play in 
in this world, but you want to treat it like a real experiment. You want to see evidence um, in as close of a system to the real one as possible mm-hmm. that the, the assumptions are real. And so how do you, how do you quickly and cheaply um, create the conditions to see if you can have the right click-through rate, have the right referral rate, have you know whatever it is? Mm. Do you by any chance have any example that you can share with us? Of this uh, live prototyping specifically? Oh, sure. Yeah. So one one that really inspired me before I got here was um, uh, this idea of like the lemonade stand prototype. So um, Jocelyn Wyatt, who now runs IDEO.org, was a business designer in the early days. And um, she was designing, uh, I think it was like a literally a beverage so so it truly was a lemonade stand prototype mm-hmm. um and so that she and it was for um uh, I, I can't remember the exact context but it was for uh it was in the context was it was in africa and so what she and the team did was they literally set up a little booth in the middle of like uh the town square and put up like a sign with branding on it and had sample versions of the product and they were just testing different value propositions and pricing. Um, so that's, that's a really simple example. And that's what, that's what inspired me was seeing that one where you're taking the real product, you're putting it in a real kind of context, which is that, that town. Um, and then you're testing the variables, which are pricing and, and value proposition. Other, other examples, um, which are kind of like, um, not as exciting today, but were 10 years ago was, the idea of like using um, Google AdWords to test value propositions. So you're buying an ad, you're putting it in front of people who are really searching for that thing, and you're seeing if if they click at a you know a significant rate. So that's that's another example. Um, other ones were uh, a project in New York, Idea New York, was thinking about uh, ride sharing at JFK, and so. Um, this was like a physical space prototype where they started like putting tape on the ground and, and sorting people into different lanes and seeing like how the logistics worked, um, testing the, their logistical assumptions around how that system would work. Um, so wait time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's like, you know, just getting real in a really kind of scrappy, lightweight way um, mm-hmm. and making sure you can answer the question, the, the key question that you have. So like, again, in that, in that airport example, it was wait time. Like, so you could actually sort people yeah. in a new way and see if the wait time was what you expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So basically we go through this exercise to identify the weakest links and then we attack those links basically. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Cool. Like, one thing before we move on is uh, I just want to make uh, the difference between DDP and business forecasting a little bit more clear for someone who is not familiar with the two. Uh, is, could you just talk a little bit about when is DDP used and when the more typical business forecasting or creating business cases makes more sense? Yeah. Well, uh, they both can result in business cases, but I would say forecasting is when there's a lot of known data and it's just about projecting that data out. DDP is for earlier stage, higher risk situations where there's there's less real data and more assumptions. And so mm-hmm. what we just described is how do you create real data in, an, in a situation where the system may not um, be there to, to create the data. You're creating little like mini experiments that, that, that generate data. 
So mm-hmm. it's like, I guess the simply put, it's forecasting is for high data environments and DDP is for low data environments where you need to create the you need to run experiments to create data. Cool, perfect. So you just talked about um, the experiments and the metrics that you use to then validate or invalidate. And this is one of the questions that I got a lot in the preparation of this podcast. And uh, so the question is, how do you like measure and present results of design work uh, also from the business perspective? Um, I guess it's, it's context specific. What, what kind of story are you trying to tell? Um, but, you know, I guess w- one way we, tr- you know, storytelling is a really important part of design. And, and um, I think we, we've played a lot with like, how do you, how do you, instead of just showing uh, a, a chart or a graph with like a wall of numbers, how do you try to vis- like create more visual and compelling ways of, of telling the financial story or the business mm-hmm. model story? So, um, you know, things like infographics, one of, in the, again, back to the early days of New York, we, we hired, uh, an awesome graphic designer named John Wan who had worked at the wall street journal doing infographics for them. And then he came to IDEO and, um, and was an awesome, awesome, awesome thought partner in communicating the business story. And it's not just about making things look pretty. Like he, he made me a better business designer by asking me, hard questions about what I was trying to say with the numbers. because sometimes I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then we figured out the right way to express them. So that's, that's one way I think. Uh, so again, like I, maybe this is just me, but I think these are all systems. And so ways of, of visualizing systems. So like a, lo- a lot of like system diagrams to understand the relationships between, between different pieces of a business or, or a market is, is another way to, um, communicate these things. We're getting applause. Um, <laughs> by the way, for the for the listeners, sorry about all the background noise. We just moved into a new space, and IDOU, who is our our neighbor, just just moved in, and they're having a little welcome ceremony. So that's the context there. Um, and I totally forgot what question you asked me. Yeah, what, what? Uh, the the presenting right, presenting the business design. Oh yeah. And so, so that's, that's some of the expression is like, you know, visualizing, um, systems design. The other thing that we've tried to do is like show that there's like, give it some interactivity, not just because it's not cause it's sexy, but actually because again, especially for, um, innovation projects, like there's so much uncertainty. So you want to be playing with scenarios and, mm-hmm. and understand like, well, if this, then what? And so I think that's really important. And, you know, it goes back to the DDP thing, which is, you know, stating what has, without claiming like this is going to happen because nobody knows that's speculation, um, saying this is what has to be true, um, for this to work. And here's the evidence that we think that it is true. And here's how we're going to collect more evidence, um, to prove, to prove that it's true. And so that's the kind of the prototyping and the learning plans and all that. So on the point of interactivity, um, that sounds really interesting. And I was thinking about it too, but I really want to dive into to understand how exactly did you do that? Like, obviously when you do with, um, high risk, uh, situations where you know very little about the situation in the market, like you said, you need different scenarios, right? How did you usually do it? Was it like you presented 
um, the usual like positive, negative, and uh, um, the middle scenario? Or did you say, hey, this is a calculator, we can play with it, and let's see what comes of it, what comes at the end? Or like, what was the interactive part? Sure. Yeah, we've done we've done both. So, um, th on the kind of high, medium, low scenario thing, we would create scenarios, and and then of course because it was IDEO, those those scenarios would sometimes be embedded into into like uh, user journey videos where where um, you see the scenarios come to life, and it's not mm -hmm. just about the dollars it's it's or you know the financial part of it it's it's about the ex user experience it's about how the product shows up at hero moments and what are the business impl implications so it was kind of threading all those things together that was one way the other way was we treated uh, you know we talked about financial models being a medium for design we, we took that quite literally and um i i got interested in a, for a while of like how do you um create the, the kind of a dashboard on top of your spreadsheet that makes it that's beautiful right that that makes the interaction with the model intuitive simple and um and and, and clean right and and so allows for the right conversation and so i think thinking through kind of model dashboard design and not just like having inputs be blue and, and that sort of thing, but actually mm -hmm. thinking about like what experience do you want your client or your teammate or whomever is going to use it to have and what, what, what do you want them to believe at the end of this? Um, you know, or, or to understand or to like what mental model do you want them to have at the end of this and how do how can you facilitate that with the design of the interface to the, to the model? So that's, those are two ways. Mm, I think this mixing of the user story with the business implications <clears throat> or business story is super, super powerful, right? Especially when you present it to clients or non-designers as a tool of convincing them because you first show, okay, this is the biggest designer's tool or of the power, right? You show it, it makes sense from the user perspective because of that and that reason. But hey, it also makes sense from the business perspective because of that and that reason. And at that point, like... There's very little that they can say that they can go against you because you've thought about both perspectives. And if you include the technological one, right, so it's feasible as well, then you kind of won the game. Right, and, exactly. Uh, and I remember when I was still like in the business school, I was just presenting the business side of things. And then when I joined IDEA, I was trying to do the same. But it was actually so much more powerful to combine the two. And then You also don't need to go into so many details from the business perspectives, just about telling the business story because you are a designer at the end of the day and you don't know exactly what's going to happen. So you can just have assumptions, but like educated assumptions. And then you can also give an, uh, uh, an idea of how you could measure that in the next phase, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's important to remember that a lot of that kind of false certainty that, that over-modeling does is, mm -hmm. is around reducing risk. And so if you remember, like, the objective is to reduce risk, there's other ways to reduce risk and grow mm -hmm. confidence in the project. Um, and, you know, again, the, the main way that, that we as business designers do that is by designing the right experiment to take risk out of the, of the project. We talked a lot about experiments, and I think they're also part of another very interesting discipline that was, was I don't know if you developed it or I don't know who started it, but I just became aware uh, of it a couple of years ago and it's called venture design. Um, so could you talk a little bit about that? Like what is it and who can use it and when? 
Sure. So, I mean, on one, uh, in some regards, it's a lot of what we were just describing. So, mm-hmm. while, while a lot of those techniques were first applied at IDEO um, for you know big corporate clients and and existing businesses, a lot of times it ended up being applied. Uh, so, so the progression was like solve problems for an existing business. Then it was like help create new growth um, for an existing business, which was often like you know an in, a new internal venture. And then, um, you know, around the kind of 2010, 2011 timeframe, that's when um, there was kind of a, a startup boom specifically with like Y Combinator and Techstars and, and the accelerator model taking off. Um, and so me and a bunch of other folks got interested in how do we apply this to how do we apply the, this thinking and these methodologies to, to startups and to the creation of new ventures? Um, and um, so we, we worked a lot with kind of student entrepreneurs and, and others to, to try to kind of apply the same tactics. So to answer your question, like any, anyone who's trying to create something new, a new business, new venture can use it. Um, and, uh, sorry, <laughs> they like that point. It's like having an in-studio audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, so that anyone can use it, and and I think again, it embraces the fact that in, in a new venture kind of environment, there's way more uncertainty and unknowns than in a traditional existing business environment. So, how do you actually really kind of systematically think about going from zero to product market fit? Um, how do you take a design and iterate, iterative approach to that? And how do you build evidence through experiments? And, and so it's, you know, I guess my business design philosophy is venture is it has become venture design. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, there's not a huge distinction between them. It's, it's more about who you're designing for, but, um, I think there are some differences when you're, you know, you're working for a big, a big existing company with, you know, maybe more resources, maybe more constraints, maybe uh, more information and data that, that changes some of the specifics of the business design. Um, but effectively, like I think the same approach is true for venture design for the most part. How would you say is venture design different to other lean startup methodologies? They're quite similar. Um, uh, I would say, and I don't think like Eric Reese intended this to be true, but I think a lot of people like latched onto this idea of pivoting um, and that like uh, you just like, it feels like at its worst lean startup is people like blindly go from pivot to pivot to pivot. I would say venture design is a lot more um, deliberate in choosing the paths to take. And I think a good, lean ups lean startup uh practitioner probably does the same thing um i think lean startups much more quantitative i think venture design is a mix of rigor rigorous experimentation with kind of intuition and uh an understanding of users and design so Mm -hmm. here's here's a really like clear distinction uh so Steve Blank teaches used to teach a lean startup class, at, or I think it was called Lean, lean Launchpad at both Stanford and, and Berkeley, and and so he would send his students out and say, "Go talk to a hundred people, and get feedback from a hundred people by you know 
in the next three weeks or some, some crazy, like really hard thing. And he was really trying to beat into them. Like you have to, in his words, get out of the building and talk to users, which, you know, IDEO's design process, human centered design process like that. That's also part of it is like, you need to go talk to users. But what we've learned over 30 years of doing that is you don't need to talk to a hundred people to see the, the right patterns. You need to talk to like maybe six. Mm. Um, and then, and what you need to do is cultivate a sense, like a designer sensibility of, of, um, you know, of what patterns are and, and what's good and what's not good and where to go next. And I know that's really abstract, but I think you don't need to like, um, quantitatively prove every single thing, um, in order to be able to move fast. Have you guys like published any tools? I know there were some tools like you developed specifically for venture design that we use on our projects, but are they public yet? So, so uh, uh, the short answer is sort of. Um, okay. So we, we created something called the Venture Design Toolkit, which um, we used for some venture design workshops. And then um, when we spun the collab out of Idea Futures, we, we provided that to our, um, our fellows, corporate and academic fellows. A lot of the tools are online and there's other flavors of it. Like a lot of business designers publish different perspectives and tools. There, um, there was a project in Europe called Hack Forward, um, which was an incubator around that 2010, 11 timeframe that ended up closing shop, but they, they open sourced a lot of their tools. And so there's some cool stuff there to use. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's other tools out there that are not, not IDEO tools that are, that are quite good. So, you know, um, you know, everybody knows about the business, business model canvas, probably that's pretty good, um, for first like, um, surfacing assumptions and, and codifying the business system. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, I want to say business innovation factory. It's like some, hmm. uh, niche consultancy. They have this, like these, like, ecosystem tiles which is pretty cool yeah for, that's that's um, very creating cool. the, the systems yeah um maybe like if you listeners are interested more specifically in veteran design we can have another episode on that and go into uh, great detail but uh, right now joe is a little bit pressed for time trying to uh, get into the next meeting so i'll just finish with the last two questions um, sure. which are pretty short. So the first one is like, what advice would you give to a young designer who's just starting out with his career? Oh, uh, <laughs> short question. Uh, yeah. Well, this, this sounds grandiose, but it's actually super important, which is follow your passion. Um, your, your time and your energy is, is the most scarce resource there is. And so do things that you think matter don't do things because other people, uh, do them, mm. do them, do, do things because you have a real curiosity or a real passion for them and work with people that you really, really like working with and yeah. that you can learn from. Just on the passion point. Um, I really love what Kevin Kelly, um, uses as his kind of filter to what to invest his time in. He basically gives his all ideas to his coworkers And the ones that nobody picks up are the ones that he needs to do. So basically he's mm. just left with the ones that he's in the unique position to do. And that's what I, I've applied a couple of times. And it's really, really powerful. 
Yeah, that's cool. I hadn't heard that. Um, okay, so the last question I have is, um, what is one thing about design that you have changed your mind about in the last year or two? Oh, wow. Last year or two. Take your time. Well, well, this isn't the last year or two, but you know, coming from a very quantitative and rigorous world of science and then business, I used to think brand was bullshit. I used to think like storytelling was for tricking people, and um, and so you know, over over time, I've come to learn that like these things are really I didn't understand them. Uh, they're really important. They're they're necessary but not sufficient. And, you know, and the same goes for all the kind of quantitative stuff. It's necessary, but not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess an, an appreciation for, uh, brand storytelling experience design, like, you know, my appreciation for that over the, I've, I've been at IDEO now almost 10 years and like, it just continues to grow as I learn more and more about design and, and get more and more experience. That stuff's just, continues to be critically important Mm. thanks a lot joe for your time and for all the awesome answers you provided oh my pleasure it was fun hope we get to chat again okay so this is the end of conversation with joe so as this is some kind of a prototype for me i'd like to ask you like if you have any comments or suggestions or anything, just drop me an email at alen at beyondusers.com. That's A-L-E-N at beyondusers.com. Also, if you do like this show, please like leave a review on iTunes because this helps rank the show higher on iTunes and it makes it easier for the other ones to find it. And again, if you do want to learn more about business, you can visit the beyondusers.com and take a five-day email course And uh, in these emails, you can basically learn about five uh, business concepts that are relevant for designers. Thanks for your attention and see you next time.